The Weekly Dish podcast is presented by Common Ground Minnesota. Food and farming conversations from Minnesota women in agriculture. Learn more at commongroundminnesota.com or follow them on Instagram at commongroundminn. Hey, everybody, it's Steph March for Common Ground Minnesota. Listen, food brings out the passion in people, so let's talk about food together. Common Ground Minnesota is an online resource for you to do that, and it's 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 run by volunteer women farmers from Minnesota of all walks. We're talking big farms, small farms. We're talking dairy. We're talking produce. These women in agriculture are growing and raising the food that we all eat. We love to have a chat with them about what it, what it means to be sustainable and what does it mean when they're using pesticides and why are they doing it. All of this is available at Common Ground Minnesota website. It's commongroundminnesota.com. And then on that new website, you guys, there are videos, there's you know FAQs, there's topics, there's a great blog, all sorts of things, and recipes. And farm dogs, too, by the way. So there you go. Commongroundminnesota.com is your great resource for everything food and families and farms. Don't forget, check them out on Instagram at commongroundminn. One time is Welcome to the Weekly Dish. I'm Stephanie Hansen. Hey, I'm Steph March. We have a great show coming up for you today. Welcome back to school, friends. Does this feel like I? We're going to talk to a woman today about school lunches. Ever after Labor Day, whether you have kids at home, which neither of us do anymore, but it feels like the emotional start of school. No matter what, it's the yeah. start of school. Well, I have a kid starting school. I mean, you know, it's true. just not true. here, but. I mean, it is. It's the start of school. It's like September will always be that. I think even if you don't have school-age kids, it's like it, you were a school-age kid at, at one time. Yeah. So it still feels it. And we wound down the state fair Yeah. with 40% less attendance approximately. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that it was that low. I knew people wouldn't go and the you attendance know, number no was judgment the... on who did or didn't go. Yeah. But I was just surprised. I thought it would still be higher than that. Oh, I kind of, I mean, I had that inkling. I think, I guess I thought it was going to be a 20%. So it was, it was a lot more. It was twice what I thought would be the amount not going. Yeah. That's kind of what I thought too. Like maybe a quarter. Yeah. They'd be off a quarter. So it was more than I thought. What's interesting is I'm curious about like Liftbridge has announced that at their tap rooms, they are serving the mini donut beer and the blue beer because they still have beer, I'm assuming, from the fair. Well, they 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 do that every year. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just thought they maybe had leftover. Yeah, no, they actually brew a lot, you know, so that there's some leftovers. Like they, I think they do this every year where they're like, you know, they kind of brew enough so that there's some stuff left over for the tap room so you can come and get it. I'm not sure why they did a press release about that then, but it worked for me. Yeah, They got okay. press. Here you go. Yeah. Um, Is there people, though, that like... You know, you plan for a fair of a million point three people. 
and then only you know seven hundred thousand show up. Do they have extra product? And I wonder. Yeah, didn't from you? The- yeah, yeah. There was. There's. Yeah, the, a lot of the restaurant or a lot of the vendors were thinking about trying to figure out how to donate some of the food. You know that. Yeah, they had I didn't hear for. any of that. Yeah. so I was curious about it. Yeah, there's. It was definitely. I mean, I think people saw the writing on the wall early enough so that they kind of were like, "Wow, this is a, really an effect." And I think that they there were some things that they were able to manage, but you know, there's definitely people who over who had more product than they could handle yeah and so they they talked about i know marshall paulson at the farmers union they talked about donating to food shelves or to whatever they needed to do so i think that's i think maybe that's what happened with things i can't speak to anybody but that one so but yeah it was you know and i think that there's i think in the end uh you know the vendors were hurting but we have to remember too that we're also measuring it against 2019 which was a record setting year yeah so when we when we think about it in terms of you know i think we have to take it down to we have to rebuild what it was when i it looked was gone. at 2017 and it's still down 35 percent from that yeah 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 but like those last couple years i would say almost 2017 2018 and 2019 if you look at the record setting dates most of them are within those three years. Like those are, those were the big, big years. And so I feel like when we creased 2 million, you know, that was during that time frame. And then now it's kind of like, I don't know, are we going to go back down and build up or is it going to go all of a sudden just right back to 2 million? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. Yeah. Maybe this is a way that some people have decided that that's just not for them anymore. You know what I mean? Like I've heard some people talk about like, you know, it's kind of like we would go because we always did and we thought we should. But like now, I don't know. I didn't miss it. People are weird about like if you have a habit, you go every year like that's your tradition. That's yeah. your thing. Once you break that. Yeah. It's not your tradition. It's not your thing anymore. No. And in fact, a lot of, you know, I mean, people talk about their their eating habits are different. You know, restaurant habits are different. Because Tell me about that. They can't. Well, we talked a little bit about it last week with Bradley, but it was the idea that you, uh, you know, you're not going like you people. You would have gone to like you know, happy hour at four o'clock, you know, at Pittsburgh blue. And it's like, I remember talking to a couple who was like, yeah, we were there and nobody else was there. And they're like, in before times, it's like, we would have to fight to have a seat right. You know, at that place. And they're like, it's just like, people just aren't going out like they used to. They're just not. Yeah. I'm finding that myself. Like, yeah. I think we've talked about trying to order like takeout on a Friday night. I don't really think about it till five thirty or six o'clock, and then yeah. I can't even get food till eight thirty or nine. Which at that point I'll just cook, right? So I don't get it. But there's a lot of, and there are a lot of people who are, I think, um, because reservations have to be had now, and since you're not making those plans necessarily, like you know, there's not a lot of places you can pop in because everybody's booked. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are going out earlier or during the week a little bit more. Um, you know, I don't know. It's just like everything's sort of changing the habits and everything else. And then restaurants aren't open on Mondays and Tuesdays. So then, you know, a lot of places aren't open. And then so then people are trying to figure out when to go. So then it's like they have to there's less hours, there's less seats, less time, all of that. So it becomes a little bit more prized. You know what I mean? I was talking to the folks at Indeed and they have a big setup out in their parking lot, I guess, essentially, you know, with a tent. And mm-hmm. they said that. Uh, they got word from the city that that all had to be done, that there's no more of those extensions of outdoor places mm. beginning November 1st. Oh, so for them, they were like, that could I mean, we've been mostly serving outside here. And even in the wintertime, they had like bonfire pits sure, and sure. it was a bigger yeah. 
No, I loved it. I loved all the extra outdoor spaces. Yeah, so I guess the city of Minneapolis, and I can't speak to St. Paul, has notified people that beginning November 1st, all of those exclusions are done. They have to go back to parking lots. Uh Uh-huh. If you think about it, like, why? I don't know. I mean, like, what is the reasoning? It's not like, was there a massive traffic problem because there was people had to park on the street and not in their parking lot? Why can't they just do what they want to do with their parking lot? I don't know. When I went to Serums in Anoka this week and had chicken wings that were delicious... Uh, hello, Vi, who introduced herself to me as I walked in the door. Um, it They still have like all these people patioing out in the middle of the main street on the parking. Right. And and it's fun. Well, it's made it real lively Hastings, out there. Hastings had this huge main street they shut down every weekend. And Stillwater has that huge area that they do, too. And that's up to the cities. Like, that's up to those towns. They can keep them open. They yeah. can do whatever they want. And I hope that they do because it has created a little bit of a more of a community than I think, you know, maybe had been there before. Yeah. And I think they're still with the, I mean, are you hearing from people that they're less likely to go eat indoors right now? I'm not hearing that necessarily. I will tell you that most of the people that I, you know, it's, it's the vaccinated people are fine. They're, they feel more fine about it and they feel like I'm going to wear my mask when I, you know, if I walk in and everything else and then I'll sit down and I'll eat and then they're fine with it. That's, I'm just telling you the people that I've talked to. I'm not, you know, I, it's totally anecdotal. Um, I think, too, my husband was diagnosed with cancer in May, and he has surgery coming up in October. And it's one of those good cancers, if there is such a thing. Yeah. But so he got a third vaccine, and then I got a third. So I feel like, oh, in my mind, I mean, and I wear masks in the grocery store and if someone has a mask, I'll put my mask on like no big deal. But it is like in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm bulletproof till spring, you know, because I just have this like six to yeah. eight month window kind of thing in my mind. Yeah. So it's made me feel like, okay, like I'm going to be doing some dining in the in the fall. Yeah. I, I didn't, and I'm going on a van trip. So, yeah, I didn't. I I feel like I believe in the, the science of the vaccines, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm I feel like I'm fine. I mean, I. I'm not doing anything, I guess, super risky, like hang out. To me, it's like when you hang out among a lot of unvaccinated people, that's the risk because that's where it's traveling. Whereas if you're hanging around a lot of vaccinated people and people who are cognizant of masks, which almost every restaurant that I've been to has the workers are all wearing masks. That to me says that it's a less, very less likely chance that there's going to be. Did you read the New York Times? Uh, I did. I did. You have a one in 5,000 chance, maybe one in 10,000. And again, People get so mad that none of this is like it's changing all the time. And it's yeah, this is a virus. This is an evolving thing. It is not a static thing. Right. But I mean, I'm so I guess I'm I'm feeling optimistic because of the vaccination. And I also feel like I'm optimistic because I do think people still are getting vaccinated. Yeah, for sure. So I think that that's our chances are better. We we live in a high percentage place. I'm Mm -hmm. not trying to risk anything, but I'm also trying to not live through the you know, the fear of right. everything and be crippled by it. So. Right. And a lot of people went to the Basilica block party last night. So. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. We have a great show. We're going to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, what do we have there, stuff? We got just some stuff to talk about. I love stuff. Dribs and stuff. drabs. Little dribs and drabs. If you're thinking of buying a house this year, but have been deterred by the crazy market, this is Stephanie Hansen from The Weekly Dish. And not only did I buy a house with Carrie and Sue from Lakes Area Realty, but Ellie is too. Ellie is a first-time home buyer who was previously looking for a condo when she spotted a cute little bungalow in West St. Paul. 
I told her to call Carrie and Sue with Lakes Area Realty. Ellie was impressed with how easy Carrie made the process. She looked at the home twice in one day and had an offer in the hands of the seller by the end of that night. Carrie and Sue will work with you to help you find the perfect house. They know the tricks of the trade so that you can get the home you choose without necessarily paying the highest price or overpaying. With mortgage rates being at historic lows, people are qualifying for higher priced homes but with lower payments. Ellie is a first-time home buyer, and the mortgage lender found a first-time buyer program that is able to keep her monthly payments about the same as a one-bedroom apartment, but instead, she's building equity in her first home. Find Carrie Elkst, C-A-R-R-I-E, and Sue Durfee at CarrieAndSue.com at Lakes Area Realty if you're buying or selling a home. Now's a great time to buy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Weekly Dish. Uh, so I have to a couple things I want to talk to you guys about, some stuff that's going on or has gone on this week that I just sort of, it's dribs and drabs, but it's not really dribs and drabs because I don't want to steal your dribs and drabs thunder <laughs> and all the things. Dribs and drabs is when, like, I don't really have a segment, but there's just food things I feel like talking about. Yeah, and I was trying to package it up and then I was like, eh, I'm just going to put it together and we'll just talk. That's right. Um, we do, by the way, I just want to let you guys know, we do have uh, a cookbook, the fall cookbook, preview coming up i'm excited so about that we're excited to talk about the, all the books that are coming out this fall because there's a lot of good stuff um but before we do that i did want to tell you about something i did this week which is um i went to uh, a play in the woods oh it sounds awesome it's you guys it's so great it's arla may's booyah wagon is what it's called. This sounds awesome this is so great it's so i found this play i put it in the feed a couple weeks ago and I was like, oh, my God, it's a traveling outdoor like play that they're doing about Booyah. Oh, and fun. Uh, and then and the funny thing is, is I thought, but they're going all around the metro. Right. I mean, they're just traveling around. And then um, and then I ran into Jess Fleming at oh, the Sod House Theater. Sod House Theater. Yeah, they're yeah. great. And yeah, will you put that link up for yeah, everybody? Mm-hmm. Um, but so they basically. So then I ran into Jess Fleming. She's like, oh, I'm going to this Booyah play. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, I'm going to go, too. And so we ended up sitting next to each other, and it was a ton of fun. But here's the deal, and I'm going to kind of tell you a little bit about it, because I really want you guys, dishers, you guys would, it was a laugh ride. I haven't laughed out loud like that in at a performance in a long time. So the idea is that you you book you book a ticket online, and it's 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 free, but you should give a donation, right? And so I yep. threw them 20 bucks. And then you just bring your chair to wherever they're having their uh, play. And we went to the one at the Frogtown Farm in the middle of Frogtown. And it was, you know, like it's an urban farm. <clears throat> and the idea is, is that you, you bring your chair, you sit up, you go through, they have the play. And then at the end of the play, there's booyah to taste. And the fun part is, is... I guess Ann Kim like did a whole like, you know, designed a booyah recipe for them. But this one that we went to was made with the food from the farm, from Frogtown. Right. And it was uh, Lachelle Cunningham, our favorite. Yeah, she's great. Who came up with the recipe. But okay, let me tell you about the play because it is so funny and it is so like... You know, Arla May from Kuchiching County, you know, <laughs> and her two sons, Earl and Burl. And it's just it was a really great they these people. I haven't seen like actors that close and in right. person. And I was just enamored and they just play it up. They play up the whole idea of like Arla May and her, you know, her booyah recipe. And she's supposed to be retiring her wagon and it's going to go to the Smithsonian. So this is the last booyah. And so they're they're talking about how you make it. And. The idea is what's wonderful about it. It really does orient you towards, hey, guess what? Like, maybe you should be using local produce and buying local and all that stuff. So there's a little bit of a lesson, but 
Oh my God, it's hysterical. I it sounds great. And like Arla Mae's in a tracksuit and it's like I mean it's just and then you go through like the memories and like there's musical performances and there's like uh, you know like a cabaret in the middle of it. It's just it's a great hour. It's a great hour of your day. There's a lot of performances left too, including well Iron Shoe Farm is yes. tomorrow. Yeah. So and that's you can literally just send them an email and say like go and sign up and get tickets and you just bring your lawn chair. There's no seating. There's no reserved seats. This looks really fun. It is. It is. You guys. It was. Yeah. I would love to go to the to uh, Carla's at for Iron Shoe. You know what? I'm just sorry. Great. It says that the September 12th one is canceled, which oh. is at Iron Shoe Farm. Okay, so that I'll one's find canceled. a different one. But listen, there. But at, it's through the like beginning of October. Yeah. So you have all month to go and have it and find it, and it's like like we were at um uh we were at the. Uh, um, whatchamacallit, um, Frighton Farm, but the weekend before that, they'd been at the Hastings. Uh-huh. They'd been down in Hastings at the pavilion there. Prescott, Cannon Prescott, Falls, yep. like Wasika, Wadena. Yeah, they're all over. They're all over the whole Twin Cities, which is great. But it's a good, I mean, it would be a great little road trip, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, it looks really fun. Yeah, so this is great. I mean, like, I and the Booyah thing, the best part is I was with Jess Fleming, um, and she, of course, is... Uh, one of my friends who actually, her family has a booyah tradition. Like, yep. her family makes booyah. Like, her uncles, her parents, the whole thing. And so, I use her as my little expert all the time. I'm like, does this taste like real booyah? She's like, this tastes like booyah. This tastes like my parents. And so, it was fun. But we are going to have Jess on later. She's putting together her booyah list right now, which is the Twin Cities list. And if you don't know what booyah is, I guess we should back that up in case we have listeners who don't know what it is. It's basically like a community stew, right? It's a big soup. It's a big pot of soup um, that is really sort of about like people putting things in together. And it's you usually cook it chicken and oxtails and you usually cook it for a long, long time. So that's kind of like Wapatooie, but with food. Yeah, it's stone soup. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's stone soup. It's the literal version of stone soup. And in the Twin Cities or, you know, it's and it's upper Midwest. We didn't invent it in Minnesota. Who knows? It's nobody knows where it came from. Um, they talk about it in terms of that it was defined by, or like the the word booyah comes from bouillon, which the Belgians yeah. couldn't say, but they don't know if that's really true or not. Nobody knows. <laughs> it's just sort of out there. Um, but there, you find them at firehouses and you find them at, at fundraisers. And last year during COVID, they just did booyahs to go. Like people did the big soup and then you would drive by and they'd get a big container of soup to Hilarious. take home. So... Um, I think that's kind of wonderful. So that was a thing that um, I did this week. And I was very, I was like, oh. And also every time I do that, I'm like, oh, more theater. Theater. Yes, <laughs> totally. More theater. We just were talking about that last Dang night. Like, what did you miss during COVID? Theater. And uh, no one wants to go to theater with me in my family. So oh, I'm available as a theater I, date. You know what's funny is I have another friend, Sarah, who is like, uh, you know, who I've just kind of become friends with in the last year or so. And I, she said to me, I was like talking about theater and she's like, well, I'd be your theater. She's like, I don't have anyone either. I'm like, okay, yeah. we need to gather the people who are like, you know, like who don't have anybody else to go. Yep, with. I'm in for art, theater, yeah. music. Just yeah. hit me up. Okay. Kurt is like, I'm done going to see theater. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. So. No, I know. Um, okay, so one more thing before we go. I wanted to say that uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Gavin Kaysen's new GK at home. And that's because I'm in it. It's cute. <laughs> But I mean, the thing is, is, I really, really, I have to tell you guys, they called us, they called me up and they said, Hey, do you want to, um, do you want to come and heckle 
cake. Gavin, while he's sure. cooking, and I was like, yeah, actually, I really do. You give me some wine. I'm like, are we do? Is there wine involved? You know. Um, and they said, bring a friend. So I brought Molly Herman because she knows, you know, she's good heckling people uh-huh. at food. And so we basically sat on the side while he cooked a whole sea bass and then did this coconut rice. And it was, Yum. it was fun. And it was great to sort of sit and chat and go through it. His, the GK at home, we've talked about this. Um, and in fact, I know a lot of dishers took advantage of it as gifts last year during Christmas. Um, Gavin has had so much fun doing these that he just, and like, he, he just wants to do them. And so before it was a zoom call and you sort of were participating with him, but a lot of people were saying, I can't make the zoom call. That date's not right for me. You know, I would love to, I prepaid, but now I can't. So he decided that this was a better way of doing it, which is just pre-recording. And then now you can have it whenever you want. You know what I mean? Um, and they're still doing a thing where you can order if you sign up, you, you know, they'll release it on a certain day. Like this one releases on Wednesday, the sea bass, and you can still pick up like an ingredients box and cook along if you want to do it as if it were live. Right. And I think that's a lot of people apparently pick up the ingredients box and it's become one of those things where they like see each other in line now and have known each other from the zoom. And so it's like a little community and a little date, little date night. Uh, September 12th. They just added a show at Gil Woods farm, which is in Minnetrista, oh, which is you're close. Arla Mays. Yeah. So Arla Mays tomorrow at two o'clock. If that sounds interesting to you, there are oh, tickets that's, available. Guys, that's really close. Like that's my old summing grounds. Gil Woods farm. Love yep. Gil Woods. All right. There you go. That's two things. We'll be back. Hello, Weekly Disher. Spring has sprung, and that means the best-tasting wild-caught seafood is available from Sitka Salmon. You may have heard us talk about Sitka Salmon before on the show, and that's because we are huge fans. Sitka Salmon standards for quality are unrivaled in the industry because, you see, Sitka Salmon is a community-supported fishery. The fish they process for you to eat are caught by a collective of small boat fishermen, fisherwomen, and families. Some of these families have been fishing for multiple generations. And knowing the boat your fish comes from is not typical of most fish you buy. When you buy a Sitka salmon share, you're getting the freshest quality fish you can, and you can trace the fish back to its source. With your share, you're part of the Sitka family, and you get monthly fish shipments of salmon, lingcod, crab, tuna, halibut, and you get the freshest fish while it's in season. They eat even have recipes, but I've been steaming my cod in my Instant Pot. The fish is so delicious, you don't even need to do much to serve it other than cook it and eat it. So Weekly Dishers, here is how you get your $25 discount for the first month of a premium Sitka Salmon Share. Type SitkaSalmonShares.com backslash Weekly Dish and you save $25. So save $25 on your box. Again, type Sitka, S-I-T-K-A, SalmonShares.com backslash Weekly Dish and you save $25. Welcome back to the Weekly Dish. We're sponsored by our friends at Hornitos and our friends at Knob Creek and our friends at Maker's Mark. I had to buy my Knob Creek because the bottle that I had was promptly consumed by the family. Right. So I went to our friends at Cedar Lake Liquors and I had to decide between rye or the nine year. What do you think I ended up with? I don't know. The nine year. Did you? Yeah, but I thought about the rye. Yeah, rye's good. I mean, I don't know. The Knob Creek rye is sort of, um, it's very hot. Okay. It's very spicy. All right. Hot. I like when something's hot. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Stephanie says we talk about tomatoes all the time. I feel like we might. I feel like this roasted tomato situation is like canon at this point. Yeah. Because I'm still getting all kinds of questions about it. And so I was like, okay. So back in the day, and I do think I might need to resurrect. We haven't done the Mountain Dew Apple Dew Apple recipe in a long time. So I might do that when I come back in October. I'm getting ready to go in the van and 
thank you for uh, having Bradley cover for me last week at the fair because I literally needed to get the harvest out of our garden because we closed down the lake because it starts to get freezing up there very quickly. Yep. It was already fall when we left. And so you have the plants and they're all dying at this point, right? And kind of, but the fruit is hanging off of them. And I'm having a panic attack every time I look at the garden because. I, a, there's cherry tomatoes. Like, you can never pick all the cherry tomatoes, but that's anxiety-producing. And then the tomatoes. So I was like, okay. So I just, like, pulled up my bootstraps yeah. and, like, yeah. got down there and got in there. Stephanie, I had three giant, like, bushels of regular tomatoes that were the early girls, so yep. they're small. Yep. And then I had three buckets of cherry tomatoes. And... At first, I wanted to make like a sauce, so I pared the tomatoes and I peeled the skin off and I deseeded just a little bit with a scoop and then put some onions and some olive oil. Well, I could have done that for fifty-two weeks. Sure. So I was like, I gotta stop. Like I, I did one batch of that, okay. and that might be good for like Bloody Marys because it's a thinner sure situation. <clears throat> it could be good for Bloody Marys. It could be good for soups. Thinner soup, so that's that. So I got ten quarts of that, or is that a quart? The thing I, I brought you, yeah, okay, yeah, because the other one's pint. So ten yeah. quarts of that. Well, th- that was a whole day, and I was like, I have got to speed this up. So I was like, okay, I'm going back to the roasted tomato situation because that's easier and it's faster. So as we're like cleaning out the cabin, I've got all these vegetables, so I'm trying to harvest, clean things out. What you do with these tomatoes that you have, you can use cherry tomatoes, you can use Romas, you can use big fatties, whatever you got. If you've got big fatties or you've got bigger tomatoes, slice them in half, lay them on a sheet pan, squiggle with a little olive oil, a little kosher salt. You can put spices or not. I usually don't because I want to spice my dish as I make it. And you put it in the oven at 265, 250, 275, depending on how hot your oven is, and you let it go. You can let them go for three hours and they're still kind of juicy or you can let them go for five hours and they're more like condensed and sun dried. Yeah. Whatever you're feeling, your cherry tomatoes, you don't even have to cut them. Just throw them in like I use a baking pan because it's easier and I don't want them to drip. Olive oil, salt again. At some point during the process, I'll take those out and like smush them with the fork a little bit just to pop open the juice Mm -hmm. because I want the juice to boil off. And so then you have this beautiful condensed tomato product and you put it in your blender. At the cabin, I have a $10 blender that I was burning out the rubber motor. So every time I was blending, it was literally smoking, which was hilarious. Yikes. (laughs) And so I was like, yeah, and then it was leaking out the bottom. It was hilarious. But I got them all blended. I had, you know, like... I don't know, 20 quarts of those. Okay. Then I still had all these tomatoes and I said I was done. I was like, this is it. I've spent four days on this. I'm too tired. I got to be done. Right. I couldn't be done. I walked down there the next morning and there was a bear that had been on the path because there was bear poop. So I was like, okay, I'm either going to eat these or the bear is. Yeah, let them go. (laughs) So I grabbed the greens because I couldn't take, I couldn't take it. So I grabbed all the green tomatoes and I made the green tomato salsa, which is, again, an easy thing. Put it on a sheet pan, slice those green tomatoes, or if you've got cherries, just throw them down. I also grew jalapenos, so I had two of those. I put onions that I grew, just cut them in half, threw them on the sheet pan, 
and I tossed everything with some olive oil and some salt and I treated the green tomatoes like you would a tomatillo. So I put it under the broiler Sure. and I broiled all of that until it was black and brown in parts and then I let it cool mm-hmm. and then I put it into the blender with a healthy handful of cilantro and lime juice. And if you don't like cilantro, don't use it. So I made six cans of that or pints of that. Mm-hmm. And now though I was the end of the green tomatoes. And then I was going to be done again. <laughs> and I was so exhausted. And at this point, like I now had like some zucchini left, like it's the dregs of the dregs. And I'm just like, okay, I need to do ratatouille. Oh my God. You are exhausting. <laughs> and it was. Let it go. It's then just I was, nature's food. I couldn't, Stephanie, because then I, okay. And now I'm also, you got to can these things, right? This is the thing. Well, here's the other part of it. What I mean, are you going to eat all of this all winter? Are you going to give I, it away? There's like, if you have 10 quarts of just one kind of your tomatoes. Oh, I have so many. This is Here's what I'm going to do. So, nor, a lot of times I freeze. You know, I'm a big freezer. I know. But I couldn't freeze all of this, so I had to can. Yeah. And canning keeps it in dry storage. So that's a little easier for storing it. I did ratatouille, and that I froze. <laughs> but here's the answer. The answer is like, you know, people do cookie exchanges. Last year I did the soup drops and people were really appreciative of the soup drops. Okay. So I'm going to do roasted basil tomato soup drop because okay. I'll get rid of all the tomatoes that way. Okay. Because you like, this is the thing is like, it's like almost if there's a point, like an end game to it, then then it makes some more sense. But it just feels like panicking for a I, reason. Yeah, I definitely can hear you saying, Stephanie, you have <laughs> an emotional anxiety problem. And you're right. Because I grew these from seeds. So, like, I have been working this thing since March. I know. and But it is just food. I know. I mean, it's, it's just waste. like they're just plants. But they're not actually going to waste because you're the animals up there will eat Well, it. and that was the final. As we're driving out... The car is packed to the gills. The dog's in. Kurt's in the van. I'm in the car. We're leaving the cabin for the season. Yep. Did you leave? Did you leave the gate open? I opened the door. Good. And I thought, I'm going to just open the door. Yep. I know there was actually a kill right outside the garden door of a grouse. Yeah. I don't know if it was a fox. I don't know if it was a wolf or a bear, but somebody got this grouse. Yeah. Sorry, Mr. Grouse, you're dead. Yeah. No bones, just the feathers. You know yep. how they defeather it? Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is time. Nature, do Someone's your work. Someone's like setting the table. Go in and, and eat like, the little tiny cabbages that didn't get would big be enough. Great. Right. There's bound to There's be. There's rabbits. There, you're going to be feeding wildlife for real. I had a lot of lettuce still. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, it was a little, when I left and drove away, I had a total sigh of relief, but I also was like, you're a little psycho. Yeah. A little, you know, I, I just driven by panic instead of. The abundance and the joy of it. And it like, was that's joyful in the beginning. And it was joyful. But like on day six, and when I'm also trying to close down the house and we have all these other chores you got to do to winterize. Yeah. And, you know, these are, believe me, very first world problems. For sure. For sure. <laughs> because then you're like moving food from one house to the next house. Exactly. And trying to figure out how you're going to store your food. Yep. Um, so that's the garden season in a nutshell. But I have been like, okay, I got Dolores helped me water the plants most of the summer. So she got a bunch of stuff. Bradley got some stuff. I brought some stuff for you finally. Because yep. I still, you know, the thing I didn't do well this year was pickles. Yeah, I was going to say. My cucumbers did not work. Oh, they didn't work. I mean, I got some. 
Yeah. But they just weren't right. I heard a lot of people had great cucumber years. Yeah, great cucumbers in the Twin Cities. Yeah. That's what I heard, too. Like, bushels and bushels and bushels of them. People were like, oh, just a little bit overwhelmed. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I like the fact that Bradley was saying that he's he appreciates that he's he's not a gardener and he doesn't want that pressure. And he's like, I he likes to go to the farmer's market and shop there. And I'm like, it's true. It's like, it's kind of nice to have other people doing the gardening and then you give them your money <laughs> and then Gosh. you don't have the pressure of all that stuff. And it's like, you know, I, in the cost savings, like, you know, a lot of, I used to plant gardens cause I was like, it'll be so cheap and it'll be so easy oh, to have like, to be able to like, just get tomatoes out my front door. That's literally, I'm mostly my herbs are planted so that I just can like last night, you know, grab a bunch a of kitchen chives. garden. Yeah. Yeah. And that to me is more, that's why and the way you want to cook. It. Yeah. It's the way I want to cook. And then, but the hard part for me is I'm more inspired by looking at a bounty of things like for cooking. Like I don't, I, you know, if it's sitting on my, in my yard or I'm like, well, I've got zucchini, I've got the tomatoes, I've got, you know what I mean? You wouldn't as much as if I go to the market and I'd be like, wow, purple cauliflower, totally going to make a purple cauliflower soup, but I don't have to try to grow that. My daughter just bought a house and she has a big garden at yeah. her house, but the garden is in the flower gardens. Like all of a sudden you'll be walking and there's a cherry tomato plant, yeah. which it's kind of more for the pollinators right. to spread it out. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really cool. She's got a lot of butternut squash. I might try that next year. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I, I did butternut squash one year. Elizabeth Reese has got them like vining all around the side of her house. And definitely, you know, that's one of those things too, that when you get squash and you have too much and then you're like, I don't know what to do with all the squash. You know what I mean? Okay, so that's going to give me anxiety, too. Yeah, you have to think about toning it, like, maybe, like, one plant. Or, two, you know, like, like, instead of doing, like, an entire, like, you don't, there's no pressure for you to grow no. an entire massive garden of stuff. What about delicata? Can you grow that in the Twin Cities? I have never tried. I have no idea. Okay. I assume I you, you can. Because I know Elizabeth just, Reese, that's, like, her favorite. Yeah, yeah, I assume you can. I just have never, I grew butternut, and it was great. Yeah. But butternut always seemed really easy to grow. Do you peel your butternut when you use it? Because people are like, you don't even need to peel it. Oh, butternut? Delicata yeah. you don't peel. They but- say if it, and I, maybe it's because if you grow it yourself, the skins are thinner oh. and not as tough. Yeah, no, mine. Well, I mean, you can roast the heck out of it, but then I just scoop it. I don't peel yeah, it. Right. I just scoop it. But then that's different. So And you can instant pot it. Oh, so I forgot about that. And so we are going to be, I'm getting ready. Braise, I'm, I yeah. made dumplings. Did you? Yeah, I'm working on a recipe for pork shoulder. With, I, you had my, I made my own sauerkraut. And what then kind of dumplings did you make? Like- Kopetka. Okay. Polish. Okay, so like, but dumplings. stuffed? Nope. Okay. Just like. When you say dumplings, that's like, it's so hard now because I think. They're like a larger version of gnocchi. Okay. Right, right. We talked about this before. Um, and I've made them a couple times before, but I was like, you know, I'm going to use my sauerkraut and make a recipe. This will be good. So we did. Okay. All right. That's the tomato roundup. Great. I'm done talking about tomatoes for the season. Good. I need a break. <laughs> I need a break yeah, from the roasted tomato just put discussion. A period on you instead uh, of on the conversation. It's fine. It's fine. I'm just <laughs> when someone asks us about like, oh, what's that roasted? T-? I just want to be like, if please listen to any of the seven shows that we have just done. Oh my god, that is going to make me do Mountain Dew apple dumplings just to curse I you. I can't stop you. <laughs> you, I can't stop you. Nothing I can do about it. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Ask Stephanie portion of the show. This is where we take your calls, 651-641-1071. We take your calls via email, via Twitter, via phone, Instagram, however you want to reach us. We're there for you. 
We do have a call on the line about zucchini. Is it Brian? Yep. Great to see you at the fair. Yeah, Brian, thank you. I have friends who end up with a lot of zucchini. Besides banana bread, what are your favorite ways? Uh, zucchini fritters are the ways that I usually end up with most of my zucchini. I mean, I do bread. I do chocolate zucchini bread. That's always kind of the big, that's easiest and sort of, you know, fun and good. Yep. But then I do the shredding of the zucchini and I mix in just a little bit of like whole wheat flour, an egg, some salt, you know, and I sort of pat them into uh, fritters and then I just sort of pan fry them. And then I put an egg on top. <laughs> Another good way is zucchini uh, soup, a curry soup. So it's just zucchini, onions, butter, and curry powder. It's a pretty simple recipe, but it uses a lot of the zucchini, and you can obviously freeze it because you know I freeze everything. Yep. And you could make that in the instant pot too if you have one. So I like zucchini curry soup. Hope you uh, help your friends out there, Brian. Yep. Take some yep. off their hands. Right. Take care. We'll see you next year. All right. Bye bye. See you, Brian. Okay, so we have another person that emailed. Hi, ladies. I could use your guidance. My son got married in San Diego, and it was a lovely ceremony. My son and daughter-in-law are coming in two weeks, and we're having an open house to help them honor their wedding. We have invited 55 people. Uh, I'm not a great cooker and entertainer, so I want to outsource the food so I can enjoy the afternoon. Any ideas, it will be in the fall, and we want people to feel relaxed and comfortable. Uh, Our budget is in the middle of the road somewhere. Okay. 55 people in... Is it okay? If she didn't give a location. Um, okay. Uh, and it's, she wants, she, I'm sorry, is this bringing food in? Is this catering? 55 catering people at her house? Or, or 55 yes. people? Because you're not going to find. No, she's not going out with 55 people. Okay. She wants something that's in Got her it. home. Got it. I mean, I think you, yeah, I think you get a food truck, you know, especially in the fall. They're a lot less booked because they don't have as many, you know, weddings and like sure, graduation sure, sure. parties and stuff. So I would probably get. I'd probably get like a pizza food truck or something like that. That's always kind of, I mean, pizza's like, who doesn't love pizza, right? Right, so, right. You know, That's a good idea. Wildfire and all the rest of that. Or else I would do, um, you know, like sometimes I think Foxy Falafel has a great food truck, which is, you know, because you can do cheese curds and falafel sandwiches, which are just a shade of difference that, you know, people are like, oh, falafel. I don't. I just had her chicken shawarma salad the other yeah. day and I was like, oh, I forgot how good this yeah. is. Yeah. So like I would think food truck or. Um, I would think, uh, you know, a lot of the catering, you know, like the barbecue guys, like Enamales does catering. And so you could definitely get the barbecue kids up and they bring, I mean, I've had, I've been to a couple events where they have, you know, they, you just pick up these great tins of, you know, meats and, and mac and cheese and, you know, all the good barbecue sides. I think El Burrito too could be an option. They, that's a little more casual, Sure. And they can do it either out of a tent, like set up a 10 by 10, or they can do a catered truck. I mean, most restaurants especially are, you know, and things like, you know, maybe Lat 14 might be a one to get, because those are those are foods that are communal anyway. You know what I'm saying? Rainbow like, Chinese, perhaps. Yeah, or like, you know, getting like a big thing of, uh, you know, ramen or something, a big thing of cow soy or something like that. I was nice. thinking about you and thinking about... Um, all the refugees that are coming to the United States from Afghanistan. Yeah. And I'm not super familiar with Afghani cooking. Right. And I was like, are we going to see a whole resurgence of Afghani cooking like we did when uh, the Hmong folks settled out of the refugee camps and so many of them came to the Twin Cities? Yeah. Like I was thinking it could spur a whole 
new type of cuisine that's not new, obviously, no. but new to maybe our area or more proliferated in our area is maybe a better way to say that. Well, and I was going to say we have we have Afghan food. I mean, Some. like we have Khyber Pass. Yep. You know, that's really one of the um, one of the best. And they've been there a long time. Crescent Moon, you know, on Grand Avenue. Mm hmm. And so we do have some of the, I mean, like, you know, there's actually this, um, there's a place over in St. Louis Park called uh, Ariana Kebab and Euro, you know. I've never heard of that place. It's a, it's in a strip mall. It's oh, like one of the places yum. that I was thinking I have to get to that I haven't been yet. But Jake and I drove by it like a hundred times and I was like, we're going to go get kebabs and Euros. Um, but nonetheless, there's, I mean, you know, maybe, yeah. I think that there would be some great, you know, whenever we do get, um, you know, people move here and then they want to open restaurants so they can share with their community. And I, that's always exciting. Yeah. Cause it, cause it, we just get to be a part of it. And also what's exciting too. Like when you listen to, um, uh, when you listen to, why am I drawing a blank on his name? I don't know. I I've been doing this. Andrew like, Zimmern. <laughs> I literally, this is kind of an aside, but I got gas yesterday and I didn't remember it. Oh, in your car, you're saying? Yeah, and I like drove. I was driving like ten minutes later, and I was like, "Wait, did I just get gas?" Oh, like very weird. Anyway, um, Yia Vang with Vinay. What was interesting about his story to me, and is sort of now how you take this food of your culture, and then I don't want to say Americanize it because that's not what you're doing, but you're using ingredients that are more in your terrain and where you are, and so it. So Salejo so just wrote an article about this, and it was really. I just read it last night, and I was thinking that we should do a segment on it, but I thought I'd wait until we, you know, kind of get closer to his stuff. But it's very interesting because it's not about, it's the idea of the, it's called the assimilation cuisine. And it's not so much fusion, which sort right. of denotes that you take one thing and then you change it to make it better, you know, or you yes. add things to it. This is more of, and this is exactly what, you know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, Sole, who was talking about when she was, you know, they emigrated from Vietnam and her, like, you know, the people who sponsored her parents, her grandmother taught the grandmother how to make meatloaf. And then her grandmother made meatloaf with all the Vietnamese spices. Right. And so it's that thing of like, it's not necessarily, you know, but it's that thing that's, it's actually American food. And that to me is this beautiful. That's the point of this country is that we all kind of bring it all a little bit in. And there is no, there is no such thing as authentic in this country because Everything's had been influenced. Right. And you can't get the same ingredients and you, it's not there. So then that's why our taco shells are weirdly in a, you know, like Taco Bell shell, the American tacos. That's like, that's not a real taco, but it is because that's what they had. And it's weird to think about or exciting, not weird. Yeah, it's I exciting think it's to think about what Afghan food with that American experience then becomes or evolves or moves into. And the hard part too is when, you know, you have um, people who are, and actually there's a woman in North Carolina was writing about how she was like, she, most of them wanted just the Mexican food that she, that they thought dripping with queso. And so she was like, I want to make them the other stuff. And so there's sort of this, you know, Hmm. tension with it too. All right. Well, when we come back, we'll have your top two in hour two. You're listening to the weekly dish presented by our friends at Knob Creek, Maker's Mark and Hornito.